So the question always has to be, how are we more relevant? How can we make ourselves more relevant than anyone else? And yeah, on some level, that is just communication. It is just the language that you use. But that's the point. If we can use the language, if we can create that relevance, if we can build that brand better than our competitors, then we win. But it, it's inside out. It starts with understanding our ideal client better than they do. And you know that, that's, the, that's the sweat equity that we can put into this is just double, triple down on knowing and understanding them better than anyone else does. Welcome to episode 86 of the AFT Construction Podcast, and I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Jeff Eccles. And I was so excited about this episode with Jeff. You're going to see why. Immediately from the very first minute of the conversation, Jeff just dives into marketing and branding. And what does that mean? He speaks about the marketing triangle. What are the three points to that? We all know that the triangle is the strongest shape in the universe. And he speaks about that. And just the entire conversation, Jeff would give tidbit after tidbit of information, just a free educational seminar. And for me, myself, who's passionate about branding and marketing, you know, there's so many things that he shared that we are already applying. And how do we implement that, especially when you start thinking about client experience and business development and the employee culture, how these all speak to each other. You do not want to miss this episode. Definitely listen to the entire end because he has so much information to provide. Jeff is a phenomenal advocate in our industry with an amazing background. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have with us Jeff Eccles. And Jeff is the president of Echo Engagement. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Brad. Happy to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Yes. And, and Jeff, I've known... I've seen so much of your content online and out there and, you know, fortune, we had a, a clubhouse, you know, on the clubhouse app about a month or a month and a half ago. And as you were speaking, I couldn't download the information fast enough. And, you know, we had connected. I'm like, Jeff, I need to get you on to our audience because you have so much to offer as far as, you know, marketing and strategy and branding, which is something that, you know, so many businesses crave. Yeah. And it's whether they crave it or not, they need it. Right? Yeah. And it's, um, <laughs> There's, there's a part of it that I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they think they intuitively understand. Oh, well, you know, Nike and brand and uh, logos and websites and things like that. But the truth is there are some really basic fundamentals that almost everybody is missing. And so that, that's where it becomes really important to have conversations like this so we can, you know, get, get down to the bedrock, right? If, if, you know, if you have an audience of builders, um, let's let's get down there and let's build the foundation, and then and then build on top of that. We'll get we'll get to your logo and your your uh, website at some point, but uh, we've got to we've got to lay the foundation first. So so let's start with that. I mean, when you talk about some of the fundamentals, what are those? What are things as you're looking at companies that they're missing or they don't have or they should have as a fundamental core of their marketing and branding strategy? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, well, let me, let me back up half a step and say that I like to view your business, anybody's business, as a triangle. Okay. So on one side of the triangle, you have your marketing, your business development, your sales, you know, whatever your process looks like over there. On another side of the triangle, you have your culture, your employee experience, things like that. And then on the third side of the triangle, 
you have your operations and your customer or your client experience, whatever you call those people. And that makes up your triangle, right? Every business, every business has that triangle. And your brand sits in the center of that triangle. And it both supports and feeds off of all sides of that triangle. And every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll be on Clubhouse or I'll, I'll be speaking at an event or I'll, I'll post something on social media and somebody will say, well, culture, our culture is the most important aspect of our business. And I'll say, no, it can't be. Because if we think about a triangle, right, if we say one side of the triangle is more important than any other side, or, 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 or we just take one side away, right? What happens when you take one side away from the triangle, right? I don't know what that's called, right? But it's not called a triangle anymore, <laughs> right? It, it ceases to be a triangle. And, you know, if we think about it in terms of structure, right, a, a lot of your audience are, are contractors and architects and others, engineers, perhaps, we, you know, the structure of a triangle really well. What happens when one side of the triangle, maybe it's a truss, one side is significantly stronger or weaker than the other two sides? The thing collapses, right? So you you have to have you have to have the tension you have to have the pressure of of all three sides working together and like I said your brand at the middle and so um, fundamentally understanding that your brand is there and it's supporting it's feeding off of all three sides that also means that you have a brand in terms of your marketing your business development your sales you have a brand as an employer brand. And even if you're a, a, a company or a firm of one, right, you're you, you only employee at that point, but you have that employer brand. You may have consultants, you may have uh, collaborators, whatever, you can bring them into that ecosystem in your employer brand. And then you have the, uh, the brand in terms of customer or client experience, again, whatever you call those, those people that buy from you. and. There, there's another fundamental in there, and, and I think Jeff Bezos probably said it the best. Um, some people say, "Well, I don't, I don't like Jeff Bezos," you know, for whatever reason. Fine. Marty Newmeyer, the godfather of modern branding, says exactly the same thing. Your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room, and so you know you. you let that sink in for a minute, right? What does that mean in terms of marketing, business development, sales, right? This brand, quote unquote brand that we're trying to build, it's not your logo, right? It's not your website. It's not your social media. It's what other people say about us when we're not in the room. Think about it in terms of your employer brand. Your employees are talking, right? They're, they're on the job site or they're in the office or they're, they're at the bar after work talking to their peers, whatever it is. What are they saying about your company and what it's like to work there? And then, of course, when we get to that third side of the triangle, this gets really critical for a lot in this AEC world where most businesses, most firms, most contractors say that a huge percentage of their work, usually it's somewhere between 60 and 90% of their work, comes from repeat clients or referrals, 
that's where that side of the triangle is so critical because that customer experience brand really feeds what those customers, those clients say about you, right? In terms of referrals or not, in terms of coming back for the next project or not. And so that that's that's really the 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 foundation of it all is you have to understand that people are talking on all three sides of those triangles and what they're saying is in fact your brand it's not the logo it's not the colors it's not the things on you know the wrap on your truck or whatever it is those things are important as well i call those brand artifacts and we can talk about that if you want but um those things are important but it's really what's the story right what's the story that people are telling and are we giving them the story that we want them to tell and and that's that i think is kind of the fundamental basics well it's fascinating i mean the way you broke that down jeff i need anyone listening i mean they're going to eat this up because you think about in just from an engineering standpoint right the triangle is the strongest shape in the universe i mean we understand that i remember being in uh you know middle school junior high we're having to build a bridge of toothpicks and how much weight can it hold and those that understood that and built out of triangles it's going to support the most weight and and you know that shape itself is an engineering masterpiece we use that in construction but when you think about the core of branding and marketing i hear those terms a lot branding marketing what is my brand building a brand and it's never been broken down to this extent because as you're speaking i'm thinking of company culture we could talk about that a lot of people understand that you know the the marketing the business development the sales yes there's that aspect but i like how you talked about the client experience because in construction, this is something that I've always tried to figure out. How can we make the client experience better? How can we make that a more pleasurable experience? You look at Apple. Apple's fascinating to me because Steve Jobs, who was so adamant about how does the phone look inside? And his engineers are like, well, no one's going to open it. No one's going to see the insides of this. No, but there's a the quality. There's the expectation. This is the culture we're building, right? This is the client experience. And anyone knows that's purchased Apple products, you open those earbuds and the quality and how it feels. And you open the iPhone and the packaging, right? And there's something to that, but that's part of the client experience and how that relates. How, how are we delivering an expectation to our client? How are we delivering a home to them? What's that look like? What's that experience like? And that's part of, and then the, as you mentioned, the culture, the inner workings. And it's so valuable how you broke that down. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that idea, and I've been, I've been sort of doubling and tripling down on the idea of client experience a lot lately. I think that's a really great point because when when i work with a lot of professional services people which you know a lot of an awful lot of my work is in the aec world but there's often this this complaint right that our clients our prospective clients don't really see the value of what we do right we feel commoditized um they're looking for the lowest bid or they they um they interviewed three architects and and they chose the least expensive option or whatever it is, right? And I think what you just said about the quality culture and the client experience is is really the key to that. Because you know, one one of the things I say from stage a lot is if if you are an architect or if you are an engineer or whatever it is that you do, whoever whoever the audience is, you have one job and it's not hammering a nail. It's not drawing a line. It's not running this calculation. Your one job is to make your client's life better. 
or to make your client's business better, depending on your context, right? And so how can we do that? Well, the first thing we have to do is understand our clients better than anyone else. Maybe understand our clients better than they understand themselves. So that idea of the client experience, you know, if you're, if you're a builder, if you're a contractor, my gosh, you know, depending on what it is that you build, it's a year long process or it's a, it's a three month tenant build out or whatever it is. That is for a lot of clients, a lot of customers, the most stressful thing they'll ever experience in their life, right? If you're building their home, oh, you know, this is, this is taking our dreams from the architect sketches to reality, right? Oh my gosh, all these decisions and why is it costing so much and material costs are going up and construction's delayed because of weather or whatever it is. What are they going to say about you at the end of that project? How much of that experience is, is somewhat out of your control, right? If it rains, right? Unless you build a dome over the entire <laughs> site, you've got no control over it, right? But the question is, how do you handle that situation with a client? What sort of experience do you give them, right? Are you reassuring? Are you supporting them all along the way? And, and even though, right, we know they're going to go through stress, we know they're going to go through a lot of decision-making, we know that they're, they're going to go through all of these things, but do you make that an experience that they look back on and they go, yeah, Brad and his team handled it. They made us feel great all the way through. They, they set us at ease the whole way through. And that's why I would recommend that you call Brad and his team. Or are they going to say, yeah, well, you know, it's like any project. It rained a lot. It was delayed. And, you know, we, we had a bunch of change orders and, and the costs went up because, you know, material costs are just exploding right now. And, you know, so in the end, uh, you know, we got our house and it's costing us more than we wanted. And it took us longer. You know, it's just at, at uh, you know, apathetic at best, you know, upset at worst. They're going to tell that story, right? And nobody is looking for a recommendation from an apathetic past client <laughs> or, or certainly not an upset past client, right? So. Those are the pieces of your brand that you can work to control, right? You may, okay, well, my brand is what other people say about me when I'm not in the room. I have no control. Well, actually, you do have a little bit of control, right? What, what's the experience going to be like? Same on the employee side. What's the experience like on the marketing, the business development, the sales side? You know, what, what are they seeing? What are they hearing? What happens when they land on your website? You know, all those things that we typically think of in, in the marketing and branding world. But, but I think in this world where so many people say, you know, somebody told me um, a couple of months ago, 97% of our work comes from repeat clients and referrals. And, I, and so I said, okay, well, that, that's fantastic. Good for you, right? Um, sounds like that's going pretty well, but they had called me because they were um, they were getting ready to expand into a new state. You know, we've got this great reputation. We've been working here for 40 years and this, that, and the other. And 97% uh, of our work comes from re repeat clients and referrals. All right. 
So what happens when you get to the other state and nobody knows you and you have no reputation and you have no repeats or referrals to count on over there, right? You're, you're pushing back and you're telling me you don't need to do this work. You don't need to build this brand, whatever, whatever. But now you're going into a vacuum, right? And you're basically starting from zero. So, um, you know, we, we've got to figure out a way to leverage that, you know, what you have, but it's so critical to take care of that 60% or that 97% or whatever your number is, because that, when the going gets tough, that can make or break you. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when you talk about pain points, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking about that, you know, how do we break that down in any business, right? And as you said, you have to understand the customer, you know, as a designer or architect, as you mentioned, where, where's the pain points that get frustrated? Is it in the design process? It is the schedule, the timeline, the expectation, especially now where an architect is dependent upon his engineers and consultants. You know, he may be able to design a house typically in six months, but now maybe taking eight because he's relying on his others. But how is he setting that presence with the client? And as a builder, I look at this, what's the pain point? I know clients get frustrated that the site's not clean. The house isn't clean. It's a, it's a mess. It's unorganized. Your processes aren't in tune. You know, when you think about just the organization, how do we set them at ease? I love that you brought these points because as we evaluate that, and I look at where I've had frustrated clients in the past, and and one recently, you know, where we are striving every day to be better and have a better client experience. And well, the reality is that's only as good as we're going to deliver, as we're going to have operations and company culture. And these are all the aspects of the triangle you mentioned. And unless I'm listening to the client saying, hey, Brad, you failed here. You made a mistake here. I'm upset because you missed this or oversaw this or this change order price increase and you didn't notify me, whatever it may be. We have to find a way internally where we're recognizing that, documenting that, and then making those changes to help build that culture and brand. Yeah, yeah. And if, if, you, if you really want to win this game, take that idea that you're just talking about, right? You identify it, you're aware, you're getting to know them, you're developing empathy for them. Take it to the next level, right? How, how deep can I go? How how well can I get to know my ideal client is what I, how I usually refer to them. Um, I've got a, I've got a show actually it's a live stream that I do every day of the week or every weekday. And then on Thursdays we do a simulcast version where we, we interview a guest. And two weeks ago I interviewed, uh, Patrick McLamey. He's the former CEO of the, the architecture and engineering firm HOK. And a lot of, wh whether you know HOK or not, you know HOK, because if you've, th there's a really good chance that if you've gone to any major sporting event, you've been in one of the stadiums that they've designed. Um, and they design other things as well. But Patrick was telling the story, and I, I apologize to whoever out there, because I forget the gentleman's name, but he was telling the story of the architect at HOK that really put them on the map for Major League Baseball stadiums. And he said that what happened was through, through some sort of relationship, this guy got to sit in the back of the room basically at the owners' meetings. And so he would go to these, these MLB owners' meetings, didn't get to participate at all, but he's just listening, right? He's listening to what they're talking about. He's listening to their woes about attendance at games going down and you know sales of hot dogs or whatever going down and 
TV rights and, and all of those things. But what happened was that as he sat there and listened, he started to learn their business. And specifically, and, and you know, how does that apply? How does the business of Major League Baseball apply to an ar architecture or engineering or, or contractor for that matter? Well, what do you control, right? What do you do? What do you produce? He started to learn about the experience and the business of attending Major League Baseball games. So the live event itself, not the TV rights, none of that stuff, but the actual business of getting fans to the stadium, the fan experience, selling all the stuff, and having them going away happy and wanting to come back to another game. And through that, they started to think about how they were designing stadiums. And they became the foremost Major League Baseball stadium designers in the world, or probably in the United States. It's a very American thing, <laughs> right? But, but, but to me, that, it's, a nice, it's a nice story, but I think there's a huge key in that that we can all apply. You know, how, if you're saving marriages one house at a time, how can you get to know more about the relationships of husbands and wives or, you know, families, whatever, whatever it is, how can you get to know more about that than any other builder, right? If you're building um, dentist office, how can you get to know more about the cust the what would we call it a customer or a patient experience in a dentist office, which then translates into the business of dentistry, right? So how can we get to know that better than any anybody else? And this seems like a long way from branding, but if you're HOK and you're sitting down with an owner of a major league baseball franchise and you say, listen, if you do this and you do this, fans will do this and they'll spin this and they'll come back. And all of a sudden you're a really valuable asset because you're talking about applying your craft to make their, to literally and measurably make their business better. That's really valuable, right? That crushes commoditization. It's a little harder to measure when it comes to relationships, but when your clients come out of the building experience going, holy cow, you know, we, we went into this expecting the stress, but Brad and his team knew at every single turn what we were going to experience, what we needed to expect, and they prepared us for it, and they laid the groundwork for it, and, and all of those things. Suddenly, your brand really is saving marriages one house at a time. Now, it's interesting, Jeff, because as you're speaking, you know, I've often heard the term, and many of us have, so-and-so is a great builder, not a good business person. So-and-so is a great dentist, but not good at running a dental office, right? Yeah. And you think about that. Business. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why, is, you know, I, I've always struggled to say, okay, well, why is that? Why is it so complex to run a business? And it's not just the financial side. It's not just your you know, your whip or your work in progress or the monthly financials, right? As you mentioned to going back to the triangle, I mean, you think about the culture experience, how are your employees? You speak about the customer experience and diving deeper. HOK is a great example. And then of course, the online business development sales aspect. But it really got me thinking because, you know, when you start asking and probing, how can I know my client better than everybody else? How can I dive deeper? How can I find out more? 
you know, you think about just your baseball analogy. I mean, old Yankee Stadium, you know, when they were rebuilding Yankee Stadium and the original one, and it has the lore, it's, you know, Yankee lore and stuff. But they looked at this and said, look, we want to, we got to change the client experience. We build a new Yankee Stadium and, you know, the seats are different and the, the amenities are better and the restaurants are better and the food and the whole experience and how it's open and flows. And it creates, and, and this is exactly what you're speaking of. They understood what the fan was asking for, the corporation or the business that's actually spending the money to attend these live events. And they cater to that. And now they're a resource to their client because they know how to design. And so for me as a builder, as you say that, well, do I need to sit down with my clients and say, what am I missing? What are the pain points? As I build a house myself and I get super frustrated with something, well, I better make sure I'm applying that as a business owner now. It, right. Yeah. One, one of the things that I recommended to all of my clients early in the pandemic, of course, you know, things are shutting down and thing, things like that. And a lot of people were getting worried. Um, I, I kind of challenged a lot of them and said, you need to hire somebody right now. And most of them are looking at me like I have three heads at that point. It's like, hey, we're laying people off, not wanting to hire people. But um, I said, you need to hire someone who, whose singular job is to spend 40 hours a week talking to your current clients, your prospective clients, and your recent past clients. And... It's not a sales job. It is a job where they talk to these people and they say, hey, listen, I, I know this is a crazy time, right? We don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow or next week or whatever. So what I want to know from you, Mr. or Ms. Client, is how are you? How are things going for you? What's changing for you? What do you think, you know, as you look out, through all the uncertainty, as you look out for the next week and month and three months and nine months and whatever, what, how do you see things changing for you? The way that you live, the way that you work, the, you know, what are you concerned about? So just really just asking a lot of great questions and then, and then shutting your mouth and letting those people tell you. And you, you know, the, the reason to do that is obviously you're trying to you're trying to develop empathy. You're trying to understand these people better. But, you know, for those of, out there that were pushing back on this idea, you know, the, the reality of this is if you have this person that's asking these questions and, and then is actively listening to the answers, then they can go back to the marketing team and give them all the language you need all the copy you need for your marketing and your sales and things like that. And then they can go to the business development team or the sales team and say, here's what I just heard, right? Here's what's coming up. And so this person is doing three things. They're, they're getting to understand the clients better. They're prepping and making, uh, setting the marketing team up for success. And they're prepping and they're setting the business development team up for success all at the same time. And the, you know, it's anybody that's going to go to that level of understanding of their clients, they're going to be head and shoulders beyond anybody else, any of their competition. You know, what are they going to hear from homeowners? Well, in our situation at our house, 
we live in a little old historic house just outside of downtown Indianapolis. This house was not designed for four adult-sized people to live and work and study 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? But what's our reality? I was joking earlier. I've been sitting in this chair for 15 months, right? (laughs) I'm in this chair because my wife took my office, right, when she came home from her office. And we have two teenage kids that for a time were completely virtual and and some of the time have been hybrid. So we are four adult-sized people living, working, eating, sleeping 24 hours a day in this little house that was never meant to be used in this way. So what's that going to tell us? Right? Well, you know, we can think about how things are designed. We can think about how things are built. Because a lot of this, sure, some things will go back. A lot of things won't, right? At this, at this point, our prospects are, I'll probably start to travel more again at some point. But my wife has no expected return to the office date. She may be virtual for the rest of her career at this point, you know, the way it looks. So what does that mean? Right? What does that mean in terms of how you're building things and how you're designing things? And if you're asking those questions and you're paying attention and you're listening, how does that set you apart? Right? Oh, man, I just talked to Brad and his team and they totally get it. You, you become the one that's differentiated and, and more relevant because you're completely plugged in to them in the moment. And that's, that's really important. It's interesting you shared that because you think about the only constants change, right? And what separates companies is their ability to adapt, to be versatile, to look ahead, look around corners and foresee things. And really what you're explaining, you know, and as you're talking about this audit, if you will, of your customer base, I love that example that you should be spending time interviewing your present, your past, and your future prospective clients, right? And even for me, as I think about that as a builder, well, I can go a step further and say, okay, yeah, I, I do have the client experience. To some extent, I can audit internally our company culture and employees, right, and understand that. But also, we're dependent on our trade partners, right, on our subcontract, yeah. our suppliers. Why not contact them and say, what are the pain points you're dealing with? How am I operating as a GC and, and forecasting and giving you the runway to order and have material, what you're struggling with, your deliverables? You know, and that by doing that research, it puts us in a better position. As you mentioned, I can apply this information to not only my marketing strategy, but also, and uh, you know, to my system and my ordering process and purchasing, which now is going to change the client experience, right? And that circle just continues to work around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're back in. You're back into the triangle, right? The you've got the triangle that is your business, and the brand is in the middle of that. But you've got all those pieces, all those other business pieces, around that triangle, just like you said, your systems and everything else. So. You know, How they all speak to each other. Exactly. They have to. They have to. And that's, that's where, again, somebody will push back and say, well, you know, this is most important or that's most important. I, I say, yeah, it's, it's important. It's definitely important. But it can't be most important. You know, you've got a triangle. You can't. It's not just an analogy, right? It's, it's the truth of your business. You know, try, try it for a month. You know, do no marketing business development, sales for a month, what happens? Well, we've got no work for three months. You know, don't take care of your employees for a month. What happens? Yeah, they all quit, right? They went and found found somewhere else to work. You know, don't take care of your clients. 
for a month. What happens? Well, we're out of business because we don't have any clients anymore. So, um, so yeah, I mean that you're, you're exactly right on that point. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. I heard the term early, you know, in my career, very young, silent salesman, right? And, and silent salesman, it's, it's someone that sells your brand that's not on your payroll. And so you think about in life, right? Why, why do people recommend you? As you've, you've hit this point so many times, Jeff, what are people saying about you when you're not in the room? What are they saying about your brand? And why do we wear certain, wear certain products? Why do we wear certain shoes? Why are we marketing this and selling this brand? We're not only purchasing it, but we're silent salesmen, right? They're, it's how we feel. How, you know, Traeger's big on this. You know, the, the smoker, I spoke with the CEO of Traeger, and he talks about this, that culture. And Brian Harris, who's a cosmetic dentist in town, and, and that bedside manner, how important that is because most litigation or most lawsuits with, you know, in the medical sector, because the doctors had poor bedside manner and understanding the pitfalls that are going to come with cosmetics or dentistry or medical and being able to look ahead and set that expectation. It's no different than construction design and architecture. Setting a clear expectation and understanding how to navigate through that is going to change that experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, when you think about you go back and you think about the fact that the employees or the clients or whoever is saying things about you when you're not in the room. Um, the, the question is, what, what are they going to say? And do you have any control over that? And I guess I mentioned that earlier. You do have some control. What story are you giving them? Right? A lot of, a lot of people in this world have referral partners or people that are very happy to refer them, past customers, past clients, trade partners, like you said. Make sure they know the story, right? They're, they're going to have their experience story, certainly, but how can you reinforce that, right? How can you prepare them? How can you help them help you? Because they want to help you, right? So th that's a that's a really uh, a really important aspect of the whole thing, and you know the the silent the silent salespeople with the different logos and so on and so forth. That that 
you know, kind of brings it back around to what a lot of people think about in terms of branding and marketing. If we think about your logo or the wrap on your truck or your job site signs or your website, like I said earlier, I call those your brand artifacts. What those really are, are triggers. They're memory triggers. So the question is, when someone sees your logo, right, if they can even identify it, if they can even remember what your logo is, when they see that logo, what memory does that trigger in their mind? Right now we're all the way back to people. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. I see the AFT logo and I remember that Brad and his team guided us through this and there was no pain at all. We were expecting, you know, some heartache, some heartburn, some whatever. But every time I see that logo, I remember how every Friday they met with us and we cleared everything, and whatever, whatever the experience was, right? Every time I see that truck or I pass a job site and I see that sign, I'm thinking this. That's what's happening, right? Every time you see a swoosh, you're thinking about some baseball game you played in high school or, um, you know, that first pair of real, you know, cool tennis shoes you had or whatever. I don't even know if they call them that anymore. <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, it, it, it all ties back to memory. So it's, it's memory triggers for us. And, and that's, in reality, that's, what, that's the importance of your logo. That's the importance of all of these things. Um, it's, they have to be reinforced by some story. So when you're thinking about that, Jeff, I mean, I, I love that analogy because the, the logo part is important in the brain ad of artifacts, as you mentioned, you know, you think about sales being effective, seven influences, right? To close a sale. People need that continual remembrance, whether you're using social media for that and you're on LinkedIn for that audience and demographic, or you're on Instagram. I mean, all these different avenues where you're trying to get out that marketing or BD sales side. So the artifacts are key because, as you mentioned, those are those triggers, the memories where they're looking at that thinking, hey, w w when I'm looking at my marketing strategy now online or social media, maybe I'm finding a way that's very non-salesy or non-soliciting where, as you mentioned, here's the pain points. I'm going to keep my site clean. Look, here's the guys keeping the site clean. And that's going to trigger a memory when they see my logo. And so you're trying to make these connections between the end consumer so that your logo actually means something based on the pain points that you mentioned that we've done the research on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, how can you get creative with that, right? There's, there's, there's logo design, that's one thing. But then what about logo usage, placement, things like that? You know, if you've got a super clean job site, is your logo on the brooms? Is it on the trash cans? Is it on the th things that go, you know what? I remember how clean that job site was. Or, or, you know, do you, do you paint your logo on the subfloor so that every time they walk in, they go, holy cow, this place is so clean. I can, I can clearly see this logo on the floor. You know, how, how can you, I'm just making that stuff up, but how can you get creative with your logo placement as a, for instance, um, and, and then you've got to remember, right? If you've got this logo and someone sees it 
you know, past client or, or a trade partner or something. And the thing that pops into their mind is, you know, let's, let's just say it's a trade partner. It's a, it's a supplier of some point of, of some sort. They see your logo and they go, I, you know what? Brad was always late paying his invoices. <laughs> Every time they see that logo, they're going to think that. Right? Yeah. And so that, that's the, that's the dark side of it, right? It's, there's going to be a story associated with it. What's the story going to be? Um, and then, and then how do you, you know, the, the part that people love, of course, is the, that, that aspect, the swooshes or the, the mermaid or, or whatever. I'm going to get on an airplane here in a, uh, in a couple of hours, you know, have a heart on it. You know, people love that kind of stuff. Um, so then, then, and, and there's good reason. That's the fun stuff, right? It's the, the design part. Where can we put this and how can we show this off? Like, first of all, make sure when you show it off, people have a happy, happy feeling, happy memory about it. But how do you, how do you take it next level and reinforce those, those memories? And you start, you start looking at, you know, when you start geeking out about it, like I do, you start looking at the way some of these companies are using it. Some of the branding agencies are using it and you go, wow, that's, that's next level genius, man. That they really place that super well so that I can't help but have a happy thought when I see that logo because of where they put it or or something like that. Um so there there's there's a ton of power in the visual pieces as well. It's interesting. And you know, in all the experience and consulting you've done, Jeff, over the years, when, when you're just talking about the brand artifacts, as you call it, right? The logo and website and things, you know, such as that, what, where have you seen the most value? I mean, when you look at our industry, do you, you know, is it apparel, right? Is it hats, maybe a, a good hat or a good shirt or a truck wrap, um, or how we put that on social media? I mean, is that, do we get lost sometimes in obsessing about some of those little details or it really depends on the strategy of each company? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the answer is always, it depends, right? But, um, yeah, we do get obsessive. Again, one important thing to remember is if you're going to put it on hats, you're going to put it on shirts or truck wraps, a really, really important thing to think about is Who's wearing the shirt? Who's wearing the hat? Who's driving the truck? How do they drive? <laughs> yes. It's so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that stuff is overlooked a lot. And that, that would be my first suggestion. Not, not that you don't do it. I, I, I'm fully in favor of you doing it. But going back to your culture piece, right? We have a culture of safe driving here. And if you're driving this truck with this wrap on it, right? This, this is the brand you're, you are representing the brand and you're telling a story by the way you drive. So you've got to work that into your culture. But, um, you, you know, I would always start by, if we assume that we're talking about our, our usually either our marketing or business development side of the triangle or the, cu the customer client experience side of the triangle, where's that going to have the most impact? Where uh, where is where are the most important people going to have the most interactions and best interactions with that? So for a contractor, when is the happiest time of meeting with the clients, right? Is it 
Is it in the office at the conference table going over selections? Uh, it's probably not going over invoices. <laughs> you know, but but think about matching it up with the happy times. Think about matching it up with, um, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be happy, but what are the where are the places where the clients get most revved up? Oh, we're starting framing. Now we can actually see something going up into the air, right? Okay, how are they encountering things at that very moment, right? Memory trigger. They see that logo in that spot. They remember, oh, stuff's going up in the air now. This is exciting. Or, uh, you know, the different, the different periods of time, the different experiences. And that's where it becomes most powerful, right? You, I'm sure you've heard this before. When you can have a variety of senses involved, right? If, if you hear something, at the same time that you see something, at the same time you smell something, you're, you're going to remember that moment, right? You're going to remember all of those things together. It's when you separate out experiences, well, this is an audible only, or this is a visual only, that's where it's not quite so memorable. So when you think about, okay, I've got this, I've got this logo, I've got this thing that I can see, and I'm seeing it while I'm doing this, right? When the, you know, seeing the framing for the first time and I'm seeing the framing for the first time while I hear somebody sweeping the subfloor. I know the job, you know, right? It's reminding me this, the site's clean. You know, how the more things that we can tie together in a positive manner like that, the more impact that's going to have all the time. So, you know, some, just some little, little psychological, I guess, tricks but um but but those can those can be really powerful well it's interesting you share that because one of the challenges most companies have any small business in in any industry is how do you find the ideal client right how do you find the optimal client how is how am i marketing my firm you know as you mentioned with our triangle to make sure i'm bringing in the right customer you know that hey if i'm trying to build custom homes I may not want to just do a backsplash. How am I making sure that my marketing strategy coincides with that? So, you know, where, where's the value there? How do, how have you seen companies make that transition to say, yes, my triangle, my brand strategies are now on point with my ideal customer. Where, what's the value of that? The value of that is everything. Um, the, I, I've got a, I've got a workshop and a course called the build your brand workshop, build your brand course. I've got a, it, it's also a, uh, a podcast, but um, the first quarter, the first twenty-five percent of that workshop or course are all focused on your ideal client. And when I'm working with my clients, my rule is that we we have to know who the ideal client is because we are devoting all of our resources to attracting and serving our ideal clients, right? We're not going to, we're not spending any time. We're not spending any effort. We're not spending any money trying to attract anyone that is not an ideal client. Okay. There's also reality, right? So if, if a great past customer, great past client refers someone and we talk to this couple or we talk to this person and we go, oh yeah, they're, I don't think they're quite our ideal client. 
then it becomes a judgment call, right? Do we take this? Do we not take it? What does this do to the relationship with the, the past client if we don't take it? What's our, what's our pipeline look like right now? You know, the, the, the reality things. But we haven't spent anything on trying to get that person or that, that client, basically, that project. So everything has to be focused on our ideal client. And the process that I go through with, with any new client is basically, okay, tell me, over the past you know, 10 years, if you've been in business 10 years or five years, or you know, it's, at some point you probably sunset the, you know, the effort, but look at the last 10 years and make a list of the best clients that you've had. You know, it's, that's going to stand out. You you can probably sitting here right now, you can probably name off, you know, at least two or three or four people that you say, awesome clients. Those are great clients. Put them on the list. And then once we've got this list, start breaking them down. Why were they great? Right? What What was it? You know, great, great is, you know, this big vague word that means almost nothing. So why were they great? What made them great? Was it an attitude? Was it a budget? Was it, you know, what is it? And so we start to break that down and we do that for every one of the clients. And before long, you start to see the similarities, right? You see, you start to see the threads that are running through that we go, okay, now we can kind of see a lot, a, a lot of this, you know, there's, there's basically three things that make up your your client um, or your ideal client is the demographics, right? And I think we probably all understand what the demographics are, their age and, and so on and so forth. There is the geographics, you know, if, if you prefer to work in certain areas. Uh, and, and I've got a client right now, this is, this is kind of odd. He has a, a very small radius of an area where he works, but his ideal clients are all over the world. It's, it's kind of bizarre. And so, you know, figuring out the connection, you know, why does a person from London end up in this little town? And why does a person from Miami end up in the same little town? And why does a person, which happens to be sort of over on the East Coast, why does a person from LA also end up in this little town? And so, you know, it, it takes a little bit of effort, right? And a little bit of investigation to figure, figure those dynamics out. But you start, to, you start to find those common threads, what ties these people together. And then, and then the third was, was psychographic, is attitudes, right? So we get the demographics, the geographics, and the psychographics. What, you know, what do they care about? What are their attitudes? Um, what, are, what are their values? Things like that. And so we go through all of that and we look for those common threads. But it's also valuable to do the opposite, right? Because you can also, when you can name off three or four of great clients over the past five or 10 years, you can probably name off five or six that were not great clients uh, or worse <laughs> over the same period of time. So put them on the list and let's start breaking that down. Why were they not great clients? What made them not great or what made them bad, whatever you want to call them. I don't care what you, what you call them, but do, do the same, go through the same process so that we can compare and contrast, right? If the common thread on, on the bad side 
is this, we want to steer clear of that always, right? If the common thread on the good side is this, we want to steer towards that always. And then it becomes, you know, I, here, here's my list for my ideal client. And then my next challenge is, okay, put a name to that. Give me the name of a real live human being that matches that profile. And my, the whole reason that I, I um, use that tool essentially is so that you can humanize it, right? Because um, in my past, the name was Greg. It was a past client. He fit the ideal client profile perfectly. His name was Greg. And so if I know Greg is my ideal client, now I know. I need to attract more Gregs, right? So what's Greg do? Where does Greg go? What does he participate in? What does he support? What does he read? You know, all of those things. Because now I know Greg. I know um, what makes him up, what makes him a great client. I know what he does. And if he supports this charity and he goes to this event every year, or every quarter, or whatever, there's probably other Gregs there, right? There's other people that at least have that one thing. I know right out of the gate, they have that one thing that matches my ideal client profile. Maybe they'll have more. So I can spend some time. I can spend some effort, maybe spend some money with that charity um, or that, that event, whatever it is. And I look at the other side, I look at the dark side and I go, they, they do this, they do that. I'm not going there. I'm not spending any money there. I'm not supporting that. I'm not, you know. Um, so, so that's really it. Once we know who that is, we want to attract more people like that and put all of our time, our effort, our resources into attracting those people and spend nothing anywhere else. You know, that's it. it it's so valuable that information because a lot of, times on the podcast, we'll see, we go, how do you vet a client? Like, how do you understand your ideal client? And really broken down at this level and understanding, as you mentioned, the demographic, okay, you know, age, what is, what is the age of my good clients? What's the age of my not so great clients? When you start thinking about demographic, where are they from? What part of town? And that's very applicable. I think here in Phoenix, you know, for us, it's easy. There are pockets of Phoenix that are very great areas to build in where the clientele, the demographic or the cost you know, if, if the home has to appraise, there's similar comps. I mean, right. th that's important to understand based on certain parts of town that will not comp or appraise. Well, they may not hire you to do a certain home or project because it's not going to comp out. And, and so it's really important to understand that demographic, you know, the geographics. And then of course the, the psychographics, as you mentioned, and, you know, as you were sharing this, I was thinking about, you know, our ideal customer, right? Are these customers that have built a house before? So they understand the process. So it makes it that much easier for me to set the expectation and go through this. You know, the, the projects that were painful, they're saying, hey, Brad, I don't want a designer. I want to hire this draftsman that's not local, that you don't know and have a relationship with. And now we're trying to figure out someone who's designing a house that doesn't understand local codes and jurisdictions and HOAs and everything else. And so you start thinking of the bad experiences. Okay, well, that's not our ideal customer. We need to find someone that trusts the process that says we want AFT to come in and now put the team together and put this process together. And so identifying that now, as you mentioned, this, this allows me to not only vet, but really target my marketing strategies and dollars to I, attract the right client. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, 
so this idea scares a lot of people, you know, if I'm honest about it. If I go to a, a, a contractor or home builder and say, hey, you, we've got to, we have to dial your ideal client in so tightly, right, that, it, that they really fit into this tiny, tiny little box and we're not going to, we're not going to spend any money anywhere else or what, you know, and, and it, a lot of them are like, whoa, wait a minute. What if we miss out on, you know, this, that, or the other? Well, that's exactly the wrong outlook. Because if you think about it, if, if I dial it down to, you know, I don't, I don't know, a 65 year old, um, man who's divorced from Colorado Springs that moved to Phoenix and has a an adult daughter who had his first grandchild six months ago that you know lives in Scottsdale and he is a member of this club and he retired from here and he he invests in this, right? If I can dial it down that tightly, this is what freaks people out. It's like, oh, there's only <laughs> one guy like that. No, there's not. There's not just one guy like that. Maybe there's only 10. But if, they're, if they want to build a million-dollar home or a two-million-dollar home or a half-million-dollar home, whatever it is, how many of those do you really need, right? What if you could dial it down to the point, and it's not just 10 either, by the way. So, but what if you could dial it down to such a small number that now, instead of spending $1,000 a month spraying out ads on Facebook to everybody, you could spend $1,000 a month directed at 10 people. How much more effective do you think that is? Because, you know, if, if you make something, if you make an ad or a website, this is another great example. If you design a website that appeals to everybody, it appeals to nobody, right? If you design an ad or messaging that you think is going to appeal to everybody, it's not going to appeal to anybody. And so that that's where, that's where the importance of that idea of the ideal client and and dialing it down and dialing it down and dialing it down as deep as you can, that's where that that really starts to shine because you're exactly right on the on the marketing strategy piece of it. Holy cow. I mean, the reality is in order to get quality messaging in front of everybody or a huge audience, I'm going to spend a heck of a lot more money trying to do that than I am trying to reach that very, very small, tight niche audience. Now, I might spend more per person, but I'm almost guaranteed to have a much better return on that investment on that small niche than I am just throwing it out there to, to the world. And I love that mentality because you think, you know, sniper approach to marketing, those are companies yeah. that are very successful as opposed to the shotgun approach where if you're thinking whether it be SEO and you're spending a ton of money on mass CEO that's going to everyone, well, like you said, then it's really nobody because you don't even know what you want to do or who you want to attract or what you want to focus on. And, and having that tight focus and that tight sniper approach is going to change that strategy as well as, you know, you continue to speak about 
the ideal client. And, and I even love the analogy you're talking about with the charity, right? Like people are who they hang out with, right? And who they, yep. their network is. So if your ideal client is in this country club or they're involved with this charity and you go to those functions and you're part of that charity, I mean, you're going to meet like-minded individuals that share those same characteristics and, you know, have things in common. That's why they associate. That's why they're friends. We're friends with, you know, people who are creatures of habit, people that are similar to our mindsets. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was uh, Jim Rohn that said, uh, you, you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with, Some, something like that. Mm -hmm. If you, I'd heard, I've heard that for years and years and years. And I, I sort of had a turning point in my career, it's coming close to a decade ago now, but, but it was, it was sort of one day where that, where that really sort of became a re, not a reality for me, but I, I really understood that. You know, I looked around and I went, hmm, if I'm the sum of the five people that I spend the most time with, and, and by the way, pre and probably at some point post COVID, it's not your family right? You don't spend the most time with your family. You go to work and you do things. So, you know, don't worry that you're offending your family here. It's yeah, right. usually the people that you work with. And so I, I just, I had that, that point where I went, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be the sum of these five people, but then you take that. And so that, that was a real point of understanding for me in regards to that, that quote from, from him. Um, and then you extend that to what you just said about your marketing and your brand and the, hanging out at the country club, et cetera. That's exactly right. These five people that, you know, just pick any out of the group. If they're, if they're all friends at the country club, those five people are very, very similar people, right? Because, or, or I guess it would be six maybe. Uh, to, to do the math, to do the math right. So those six people are really similar people because this one is the sum of those five, and that one is the sum of the other. You know, the five and the five and the five and the five. And so that that's at least for me that became a pretty easy analogy to to think about. That it's like, yeah, that that's exactly right. You know, if I'm the sum of the five people I spend the most time with, then if I find my ideal client. I need to find the five the five people they spend the most time with because they're also my ideal client. You know, this has been an amazing conversation, Jeff. And, and you know, this is something that to be sensitive to your time, you know, I could take you on this journey and you've shared so many valuable things that have affected me immediately, right? Already in my company. But, you know, this is something we speak about for hours. But what, you know, where did this passion come from? When you think about just all the knowledge you've gained and experience in, Consult. I mean, what, where, where did that passion come from as far as marketing and branding and, and everything we discussed today? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, so, so my background is architecture. I went to architecture school. I've got a, I've got two degrees in design. <laughs> and, um, when, when I graduated from school, so I, I graduated in a time where the economy was, was not good. Um, took a long time to find a job firms were laying off rather than hiring. And, and, um, I, I basically, I went back home to Chicago and found a job and it, a couple of things happened in that job. And, and a lot of this, I, I often say it's at no fault of my own because thankfully other people saw things in me that I 
didn't recognize or at least wasn't weren't playing to. And so one of the things that happened was that again the economy was bad. <laughs> I learned to hate Fridays because that was the day that people got laid off. And it, it every day, you know, I'm like 23 years old or whatever in my first job out of school and I'm terrified to go to work on Friday because the question is is today my day, right? And when I looked around the office, there was one other person that basically had the same experience I did, which was nothing, right? It's our first job out of school um, and same position and everything else. And so I, I went, how do I make myself more value? And this, this is going to sound a little bit cutthroat, but it's reality. How do I make myself more valuable to this company than they are? Because I want to survive, right? So, so that that sort of instilled a little bit of a, not just a little, a lot of a drive, in setting myself apart and and really value finding value, delivering value. And then the other thing that happened was, and, and I, I had taken some advertising and some marketing and things as just electives in, in college, but I don't have a degree in that. Um, but you know, I had pretty good skills in graphics and, and pretty good skills in writing. And so someone would come up to me and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you're pretty good at those graphics. Why don't you go help the marketing team with this thing that they're working on? And then maybe another day they tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you're really good at, at writing. Why don't you go help the uh, business development team with the uh, the deadline that they're working on? And so th that's the part I'm really thankful for because people saw that. I never would have pursued that. I didn't know to pursue that. What they were doing, unbeknownst to me, maybe not even beknownst to them, really, but um, they were they were cracking open the door so that I could see that there is this thing called the business of architecture. And you know, you mentioned this earlier about dentists and others. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that architects sorry architects but one of the reasons that most architects are terrible business people and most dentists are terrible business people is we're not trained in that right architects are trained in design thinking uh, dentists are trained in biology and all those things that they study they're not they don't have a legitimate business training in school and most of us graduate not really understanding that there is this business of contracting, this business of engineering, whatever our field is. And that was these people showing me, hey, there's this thing out there called the business of architecture. And by the way, it's a whole lot bigger than the design side. And so at some point in my career, um, you know, I just abandoned the idea of ever becoming licensed because I, yes, I was I was managing projects and I was doing those things, but I was always pulled over willingly to the marketing, the business development side. And, and once, uh, once I was out for a while, I got wrapped up into a couple startup situations, uh, which I really enjoyed, still enjoy the startup world, um, and, and really enjoy the game, if you will, but enjoy the skill, the craft of communication, of 
this is this is one of the stupidest ways to say this, but selling our value proposition, you know, which I think is exactly the opposite of the way that we ought to think about that. But the the idea of how do we take an architecture firm, builder, an engineering firm, a dentist, whatever, and say to our ideal client or our ideal customer, we're the right firm for you because, right? The hardest question for anybody to answer is, why should I hire you, right? I could, I could walk into whatever the next conference that I'll speak at, I'll walk in and say, why should I hire you to a room of, you know, whoever the audience is? 90% of them will say, well, because I'm an architect or because I'm a home builder or because I build $3 million custom smart homes or something. The problem is 90% of them said that, right? And so it's, it's meaningless, right? So I, I get really fired up about creating brands for AEC firms business, or, or uh, professional services firms that not that are differentiated, but that are relevant. And, and that's the real key. If you can, you know, everything we've talked about in this conversation today is about making your business more relevant to your ideal customer or your ideal client than anybody else. Because that's that relevance is the key to everything. And um, you know, I, I work a lot of times I'll I'll be in a situation where someone will hire me to help their team in a shortlist interview situation, let's just say. And how do we differentiate ourselves? That's not the point. Differentiation is not the point, right? You made a short list, you're down to three or four or five or whatever the short list is. If you really want to differentiate yourself, your whole team could walk into the room wearing a bright yellow tuxedo and yellow top hat. And you'll be different than any other team. <laughs> I will guarantee you'll be different than anyone else. And it won't matter, right? Because it's not relevant. The yellow tuxedo and top hat is not relevant to the situation. It's not relevant to the selection committee. So the question always has to be, how are we more relevant? How can we make ourselves more relevant than anyone else? And yeah, on some level, that is just communication. It is just the language that you use. But that's the point. If we can use the language, if we can create that relevance, if we can build that brand better than our competitors, then we win. But it, it's inside out. It starts with understanding our ideal client better than they do. And you know that, that's, the, that's the sweat equity that we can put into this is just double, triple down on knowing and understanding them better than anyone else does. It's phenomenal. I mean, that just that breakdown and clarification of it's not differentiation, right? It's not being different, but it's being relevant. And, and, and what a nugget there to leave with us at the end, Jeff. And, you know, for those listening that want to learn more and follow you and understand, you know, you know, let them know how, how can we find you to, to follow along all this amazing content that you put out there? Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, you can, one of the easiest ways is to just to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty easy to find on all the socials, <laughs> but, um, 
So it's on, on all the social media, it's, it's generally Jeff underscore Eccles. Um, if you find a chiropractor in Austin, Texas, that has bright white hair, that's not me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but otherwise he, he, he conquered the name Jeff Eccles everywhere before I did, but so kudos <laughs> to him, but, um, but I'm pretty easy to find. Connect with me on LinkedIn. My, um, my website is echoengage.com. So it's E-C-H-O engage.com and um uh, but on linkedin i share a lot of my youtube content and my podcasts and and um uh, now we're hosting linkedin lives over there as well at least once a week so um so that's that's usually the easiest place and uh i really enjoy playing in clubhouse so uh i'm on there uh at least once a day or once a weekday um as well. So, uh, you can always go there and find me and, and DM me on Twitter or, uh, or Instagram. So you've been amazing. And, and we'll have all those tagged here in our show notes. And of course, when we, you know, publish this podcast, but I can't thank you enough. I mean, it's just been incredible, Jeff. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. I really, I love having these conversations and, and, uh, also supporting other, other, uh, podcasters, fellow podcasters, uh, and your audience. I mean, that's, you know, that to me, that's what it's about is what kind of value, what can we do to lift up your audience and, and, uh, make their business and their lives better. So if we, if we did that today, then this is a victory. hundred percent. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely, Brad. Thanks. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation so if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.